hello there. Welcome back to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast with me, Samantha Randawa, and him, Indy Randawa. And no, he did not get a new co-host. He got a wife. Yay. Yay, we're married. This is our first post-wedding episode. Yeah. How's it feel? Similar. Yeah, when we've been living together for as many years (laughs) as we have. It, it's, it was great, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like our lives changed as much. We got a bunch of new stuff. We got new stuff, and our families got to hang out, which yeah, is Yeah, and now our families are best friends. Yeah. Which, and you changed your name. And I changed my last name, yeah. I didn't expect that, actually. Really? Yeah. We never oh. really talked about it, and then one day you just said, like, oh, yeah, when I'm Samantha Randawa. And then, yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. It does sound good. It sounds really good. You sound better as a Randawa than I do. Samantha Randawa. That sounds good. No, Indy Randawa is good too. Yeah, it's pretty good, but you would be like a realtor I would mm, go to. Maybe I I'd vote just... for Samantha Randawa. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Maybe this will help my political career. Yeah, or your realtor career. <laughs> maybe Should that's you my start next one? career. And um, oh, yeah, we said this is uh, I Love This, You Should Too, a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And usually we just kind of chit-chat for about three minutes off the top, but today's kind of uh, special. Yeah. How's the wedding? The wedding was fantastic. I was there, but how was it for you? Yeah. It was so good. And it was so much fun because, like, we both have, like, very outgoing families, and we both get along with each other's family really well. And it's no surprise to anybody that they are now all best friends. Yeah, right? That was my favorite. The, my favorite thing was taking, like, a minute and kind of stepping back and looking around the room and seeing people who had just met, having these, like, lively animated conversations mm-hmm. and being like, oh, my God, they're best friends now. <laughs> yeah, we're all best friends. Yeah. Everyone who was at that wedding. Exactly. Best friends. Best friends. Which every day, it was like a three-day wedding. It was, yeah, <laughs> we had quite the marathon of a wedding and uh and it was great it was fantastic and we we finished out our weekend at a fancy hotel in robes sitting by a pool yeah we started it in a garage with broken heaters and we finished it in a spa <laughs> in a spa <laughs> we had quite the range of stuff it was all over the place and it snowed even though it's like the end of april <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah we were rubbed in turmeric yeah I was covered in henna. That too. Did you enjoy the wedding? I think it was like the best weekend of my life. Yeah, I agree. And we've heard that from multiple guests as well. Yeah, especially the guests between the ages of uh, 12 and 20. Yeah. They had the most fun. I think so. Makes sense because uh, the things we like to do, teenagers often like to do as well. (laughs) And I think for both of our families, this is the first big wedding in the family in a very long time. First big thing that so many people have done because. I know a lot of my family just doesn't leave the house since COVID started, and yeah, I dig it. That True. makes sense. And, I think uh, maybe the bar got way lowered because nobody's done anything. Right. <laughs> and so then we had this fabulous wedding that would have been fabulous even if it wasn't COVID, mm-hmm. but I think it just really like amplified it in everyone's minds. True. So what are we doing here today, Andy? <laughs> oh, yeah. So... First off, I should apologize. Last episode, if you downloaded it the day it came out and you listened to it and you're like, hey, this is not the right episode, 
I kind of had a lot going on last week. <laughs> yeah. I, I did finish editing the episode on time, but I was posting them not too long before it came out mm-hmm. and I got mixed up. So that's all fixed. So if you didn't listen to the Step Up 3D episode because it was the wrong episode, it's fixed now. <laughs> yeah. It was fixed after like 48 hours, but it took me a while to realize that. Maybe re-download it. Yeah. Give it another try. So check that out. And today, since... Last week, we did Samantha's movie, Step Up 3D. Today, we are each going to give a thing of the week, something we're into right now. Just a quick little review, and then I'll let you know what to watch for the big watch, which we'll be discussing next week. Yeah, I'm very excited. A little break from Step Up, even though I know everyone's really into it. I know I am. (laughs) So today's episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you switch providers, nothing changes about the delivery of these utilities to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms before leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. As you, the consumer, have the choice of who you pay your bills to, why not choose your friendly local utilities provider? You can learn more at parkpower.ca. That's parkpower.ca. Well, Indy, it's time to hear what you've been really into this wedding week. (laughs) Well, this wedding week, I've been into uh, not sleeping, but having a lot of fun and dancing a lot. Scream dancing. Yeah, well, that was only one day. Lots of punching and like pointing. That was only two songs on one day. True. The rest of the time, not that kind of dancing. (laughs) But I'm going to go for something that I've been into for the last um, probably about like six months or so. Okay. My thing of the week is astronomy. Oh, okay. And I'm not really going to talk about astronomy a whole bunch, but I'm going to say my thing of the week is being a casual fan of things that you don't need to be an expert to enjoy and enjoying things that don't involve people. Because that's how I got into astronomy, maybe. It's funny, like, why can't people be uh, casual fans of astrophysics or astronomy? Because it's very daunting and terrifying. Yeah, me, I, I I think so, but like you can be a casual sports fan. You're a casual sports fan. Yes, I am a casual sports fan. S- sports fans aren't all sports writers. They don't watch every game, but it seems to be that way with astronomers because, well, if you're an astronomer, you, that, you that's your field of study, mm-hmm. but there's no, it seems like there's not nearly as many casual astronomy fans. I'm like, space. It's out there. It is. Oh, man. It's out there. I want a t-shirt where there's a space. It's out there. You heard it here. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be the level of astronomy educated to sports fans who know what the problems are with the team and have some suggestions to fix it, but they don't know like everything. I think that's a good level. And I don't understand why more people aren't casual fans of more uh, daunting things like that because currently i'm at the level of uh, astronomy knowledge Mm -hmm. i have um favorite nebulae oh like 
the pillars of creation, of course, that photo from the Eagle Nebula mm-hmm. or um, the Helix Nebula. That's a very good one. Right. The Homunculus. That one's creepy. <laughs> what about like the it. like crab one? The Crab Nebula. That's a good nebula. That's my favorite nebula. Is it? Oh, yeah. see, you, see, you're an astronomy fan. Just so casually, though. But you're, like, if you say, oh, the Crab Nebula is my favorite, you're the level of astronomy fan, like someone who's like, oh, yeah, I like hockey. I like the Maple Leafs. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, maybe it's the most popular team, but you know one team. Yeah, true. That's the level of astronomy fan you are at. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I'm a casual astronomy fan. Yeah. So I might be like a little bit more into it because, oh, also uh, Messier 43. That's a good nebula. Messier? Yeah. M43. Like Mark Messier? I don't think he discovered it, but <laughs> but like say, Mark Messier, I yes. thought they were all kind of named after people who discovered them or named by. I think there are more than one Messier out there, though. Are you sure? You know what? I'm not. I thought we abolished the last name when Mark Messier. <laughs> we came retired around. it. Yeah. So I think you're at the level of hockey fan that I am of astronomy, perhaps. Okay. Because you know Mark Messier. I do. You know retired players. Wayne Gretzky. There you go. Al Hamilton. Yep. <laughs> so you know all the retired Oilers. I know three retired Oilers. <laughs> So, yeah, I think we're at the same level, you to sports as I am to astronomy, maybe. And then I think another reason I started getting really into astronomy is because I'm just um, sick of people and everything that relates to people. (laughs) It's part of the reason why I've become much less of a a hockey fan. Mm -hmm. Like, I grew up loving hockey. I played hockey. I still do. Mm -hmm. And throughout this podcast, I always said I would give up watching and making movies before I gave up watching and playing hockey. Mm. I don't feel like that as much anymore. And I think a lot of it is because we are here in Edmonton and we have uh, terrible hockey fans. We do. They're um, they're bad in a lot of ways, but I don't need to get into that. And I did do a whole episode on the problems with sports journalism. Mm-hmm. But sports is ruined by people because hockey especially, it seems like they don't talk about the actual plays on the ice very mm-hmm. often. It seems to go beyond that and it starts involving people. And of course, in modern journalism in every form, it's like, whoa, let's see what people on Twitter have to say. I don't care. No. I don't care what people have to say. I like the actual sport. Yeah. It's hard to find things to be interested in that aren't governed the same way. You can't be into politics without being like, oh, yeah, and you know that person, they um, like raped a bunch of children. Yeah. Right? There's just like everything is ruined by people. Yes. It also makes it harder to like learn about sports, for instance, because they're yeah. not telling you what's happening. Very true. So from someone who just recently learned to play hockey, I realized how low my bar of knowledge was without me realizing it. I thought I knew a lot more about hockey. But now that I've done some of the plays and I've kind of practiced some of the things, I'm a lot more able to kind of see what's happening. And then, yeah, you realize that they're not actually telling you anything about the game. No, sports journalism as a whole is is very bad. But go back and listen to that episode and go listen to Pablo Torre because he yes. does good sports journalism. What a nice guy. He is. I was saying that um, I wanted to spend more time thinking about things that don't involve people Mm -hmm. at all, because that's a great way to be, um, it's kind of escapist, it's uh, relaxing to occupy yourself with things that don't involve any other people at all. True. So if you are, I'm a photographer a little bit, but I work with models, so then you're working with people, and sometimes you're like, oh, this person's great, and then you 
send them their photos and then they post it and then they're like, oh, also uh, the Holocaust never happened. And you're like, wait, wait, how did that get in here? (laughs) (laughs) So people ruin everything. And I'm also really interested in architecture. But of course, that's still man-made as well. You don't get it as much. But then most of the greatest buildings in the world uh, the land was either taken by someone or yeah. they're created for political or mo- usually religious reasons. That's what the best art is often religious. Very true. And when it comes to astrophysics or astronomy, you can get away from that at least at the level that I'm at. I'm mm-hmm. sure if I were an astronomer, I would get into all of the politics about everything is is ruined by people. But you can think about all these things in a way that is completely devoid of humanity and that is nice so that's why i think uh, that's why astronomy is my thing of the week (laughs) so i suggest that everyone out there find something find something that you like that doesn't involve people Mm -hmm. maybe you just paint on your own you do still lives right that's a great thing to do uh maybe you do landscape photography but photographers often very annoying people being one i'm i'm aware (laughs) (laughs) But astronomy is that thing for me. It's relaxing. It's away from everything. It doesn't depend on people. And it's something that is so grand and it shows me how insignificant I am. Mm. And I know a lot of people don't like that feeling, but I I find it very comforting to know that I don't really matter. Yeah. I don't think it's depressing to feel like my life doesn't have much meaning. I think that's uh, that's comforting and it takes the pressure off. Because you're like, look at all that out there. Who cares? Why am I worried about things? Because look how beautiful that, what's your favorite ad? Crab Nebula is. (laughs) It's a good nebula. Crabby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So astronomy and liking things that don't involve people and being a casual fan of things that are usually reserved for experts. Because nothing should be just reserved for experts. Be a casual fan of whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Be a casual nuclear physicist. (laughs) I don't think you can. You can have a casual interest in nuclear physics. Yes, you can have a casual interest, but I don't think you can just be like, I'm really like big on nuclear Yeah, you can't just experiment in it. Yeah. No. You really, you need the the schooling. Oh, but on uh, the idea of astrophysics, Neil deGrasse Tyson did write a book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, Mm. and it is a very accessible, but uh, like almost too light of a book. But check that out. I thought it was all right. Is it funny? No, it's it's light. Okay. It's not all just jargon. Okay, good. Because that's like one of the things is like, I feel like you open a textbook or like a book about something and then you have to like Google the first six words. That's the thing. There's not a lot targeted at casual fans. Yeah. This book is, I thought it was a little too light on the knowledge mm. for me because there's just not much for this middle ground of people yeah. in a lot of things. Well, that's that's half of it. Yeah. yeah. I don't feel comfortable picking up an astrophysics textbook and being like, okay, well, I don't know what that means. I know the word the. <laughs> I know and, but the seven words around that, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I suggest? If this is something that you specifically want to be interested in, um, astronomy that is, start out with books and start out with, with photos. Mm, okay. That's how I got into it. I saw some beautiful things. I want to know what those things are. And then you learn one thing at a time. And for just all of the documentaries out there, those tend to be targeted at a much more casual audience than textbooks are. Cool. So go get into astronomy. 
Go look at the stars. Okay, bye. Space. It's out there, man. Is that what it was? It's space. It's out there. I think you should add man on the end. No, I think that that trivializes it. We're serious space people. No, we're casual. Oh, right. Sorry. I totally missed the point. Yeah. We're casual space people. Be a casual fan of whatever you want. That's my thing of the week. Okay. How about you, Samantha? What's your thing of the week? Well, I um, read listened to a very cool book um if you listen to uh past episodes you know that i danced quite competitively as a child and quite seriously and so i read a book called swan dive the making of a rogue ballerina boy by georgina paz cogwin and um, she is new york city ballet's first asian american female soloist um, and so there was a lot of really interesting things in this book, um, starting with kind of her starting the novel out as kind of a love letter to dance and like dance and how it's been part of her life and how it kind of shaped her as a person and all the things she kind of gave up to study this um, to the point where she could make it a career. And uh, she kind of tells of leaving her really insular um, family and uh, went out and lived in a dorm or lived um, with like a host family and didn't have that support of um, people she was related to or even people who looked like her. So she uh, talks about that and she talks about um, like trying to finish high school as like a professional dancer and um, not even being able to, like, think about college. Um, and she gets the job that she's always wanted at the New York City Ballet. And then she talks about how hard it is to kind of rise in the ranks um, kind of back in the day before um, Me Too or before um, more racial issues were being discussed. As loudly. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, it's really, really interesting to hear her talk about how um, she's doing this thing that was like kind of for like rich white girls and was trying to really like shoehorn her way in. And uh, she talks about uh, swan dives as like a metaphor for like doing hard things and doing scary things. And doing things that, like, not everyone's going to agree with. So she kind of goes through this entire story of her life about some of, like, the wild and crazy things that have happened to her in ballet. A few weeks ago, you talked about a memoir of a ballerina who was French, but she was adopted and she was of African descent, but I forget from where. Uh, Michaela Prince, yeah. Michaela Prince. Do you find a lot of overlap in... Because what you were talking about, because both of these people, mm-hmm. for the most part, I, you know what, I'm also a bit of a, ca- I'm a quite casual ballet fan. <laughs> yes, I've been are. to a few, I have favorite ballets, uh-huh. but I'm not uh, from that world. I didn't study like you did, or no, of course, none of us are close to their levels. Of course. But <laughs> it seems like the things that both of them were talking about, is there a lot of overlap there? Because both of them are coming from kind of an outsider perspective of yeah. the ballet world. Um, so Georgina kind of had the leg up on Michaela of being born in Pennsylvania and growing up um, American. And uh, some of the things that she struggled against were racial, but not to the same point that Michaela dealt with. 
So it's um it's a different kind of racialization where like they were saying like though the Asian girls are good enough to be in the core but not soloists. Yeah, and that is kind of in all facets yes. of a uh, of American society. There, exactly. There's different types of racism that you have to overcome depending on uh, yeah. where you're from. Exactly, and like I think there's only been a handful of really successful like african-american ballerinas where you really don't see that and now it's starting to become more of a thing but it has taken a long time for both of those to be kind of more prevalent within that community and again as a very casual fan it seems that ballet tends to be about 15 to 20 years behind Mm -hmm. the Movements. It goes um, gymnastics first, mm-hmm. then figure skating, and then ballet yeah. for how inclusive those communities are and who they think is allowed to be in it. Because oh, of course. I, I know more about gymnastics and figure skating. Yeah. And these same arguments or these same problems we're having uh, 20 years ago mm-hmm. there. And they're, of course, they're still there. But ballet seems more... Um, more insular than yeah. those worlds because oh, it's not just strict sport where, of course, you have to overcome more depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. But in most sports, not always, if you're good enough, you're going to rise to the top. Yes. While it seems a little harder in ballet because you can just be put down by by people who yeah. control it. And because you don't look right, yes. you can dance amazingly but like I was about a foot and a half too tall. Right. Um, And I had... A butt, basically. It was like, my shoulders are too broad. I had a butt. And like, even though I was dancing so seriously for so many years that I didn't develop until after I turned 18 and stopped dancing, it was like, I was still never going to be the right size to like actually pursue this professionally, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what Georgina talks about and how she was able to kind of come ahead of that kind of mentality and um it's also got really interesting in like looks into some like roommates she's had who have like done whatever it takes to be that like ideal body shape or look or whatever um and it's uh quite a no holds barred look at this community which like i don't know how she still has a job because it's like really harsh you'd have to be pretty established already exactly in order to say this this kind of stuff very harsh memoir and i think it's great like i think it's so good because there were so many times i was listening to it and i was like "Uh uh-huh yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) remember that and yeah so it's really cool to like see someone being able to like speak out about this and as always, I have to ask, how was your narrator for the audiobook? She reads it. Oh, it's, it is it's the a, author it's herself. It's like an actual memoir. So yeah, so it was, I always say that adds such a level of like emotion to it. Definitely. Because a lot of these things are very emotional and they're very personal. And you can really hear that come out when people are talking about it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of her book is about like the Me Too movement, and I think like in gymnastics, like in figure skating, um, there's a lot more stories kind of coming to the top now about um, ballet directors, about managers, and about how there's like a give and take relationship of how to get promoted or how to get the good parts or whatever. And so uh, Georgina was at New York City Ballet while this was happening, and she tells a really amazing kind of account of some of these things that came to light and how they dealt with them. So if you are interested in reading this book, it is at 
the Edmonton Public Library, of course, (laughs) as well as I'm sure wherever you get your books from. It is called Swan Dive, The Making of a Rogue Ballerina by Georgina Pazcoguin. And I'm sure I'm butchering her last name. It is very long and complicated. (laughs) And I couldn't find a good pronunciation of it. Pazcoguin. Sure. Let's thank our second sponsor of the episode, and that is the Alberta Treasury Branch. And at ATB, they make banking work for you by offering both expert and practical advice in saving, budgeting, and paying off debt. And though your financial situation and the economy may change over time, you can be confident that your money is safe and secure with ATB. They have a history of doing what's right for their clients, especially when times are tough, because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, you can visit atb.com. Okay, Indy, it's time to find out what we're going to be watching this week. I'm excited for this one because it's another movie that I have seen once quite long ago and I don't remember it well. (laughs) I loved it then. I think I will still now. And I was saying how that I think all genres of film Mm -hmm. are just as valid and I wanted to do more, more genre pictures. And when I say genre pictures, I mean if you talk about a movie like The Shawshank Redemption, you're like, what kind of movie is that? You'd be like, um drama i guess if it's just a movie that stands on its own those Mm -hmm. ones typically aren't called genre pictures right if i ask you what kind of movie is saw horror yeah yeah or like what kind of movie is step up dance those are genre movies that the genre comes first and it's very identifiable it's not just um like drama or even some like mysteries are kind of in the middle there Mm -hmm. where they're just movies, and the the type of movie it is doesn't seem as important. Right. So I wanted to start doing more genre pictures, because I think you if you're good at what you're doing, it doesn't matter if you're comedy or horror or sci-fi, everything's just as valid. So the movie we are going to do is the 1951 sci-fi classic, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Ooh, I've heard you talk about this one before. I think I may have uh, listened to the soundtrack when you were around, and I don't think you liked it because it is the one with all the like. <laughs> you well, we'll get to that. <laughs> so this is the 1951 version. It was remade in I want to say 2008. Okay, with Taylor this... Swift. No, your next pick is probably going to be right though. I don't know. Who's your favorite actor? Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Really? <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to watch that one because oh. I think I recall it being bad. Okay. But we can watch it after, but not for this. Okay. So I think The Day the Earth Stood Still epitomizes what I think of when I think of this generation of sci-fi movies. Because at the time, sci-fi meant, I think, a lot more than it seemingly does today. It has uh, men from space. It has American exceptionalism. It has this amazing score that wouldn't work for any other type of movie. And that's what I think of when I think of 50s sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts of 50s sci-fi? Have you ever seen anything that would be described as that? I don't as that? think so. I think I'm excited to get into it because it seems fun. Yeah, just like when we did Double Indemnity for Film Noir. Mm-hmm. You hadn't really seen a film noir of the actual time before. No. 
But when you watched that, could you see like, oh, I see so many things come from this? Yes. I, I think I, I talked about it a little bit when we were talking about the movie in the main episode. Uh, I think I could see where other things were kind of inspired by it mm-hmm. or like paid homage to it in older, like in newer movies. Yeah. Even today, you can see the influence. Yes. I feel like it might not be as strong with this one. But I think The Day of the Earth Stood Still really typifies a time and specifically a genre in American filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Because this is coming off of World War II. And in the early 50s, a lot of people think of it as like America at its best in a lot of ways. And of Mm -hmm. course, everyone's like, "Um, well, black people still couldn't eat in the same restaurants. True. I'm not going to argue that. But when I say America at as its best on like the international scene almost. Right. They were seen as heroes more mm-hmm. after World War II. Right. This is before Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan or anything like that, where I would personally argue their reputation is greatly tarnished. I know people somehow take issue with that, but that's how it seems to me. And in the 50s, sure, if you are a woman or a person of color in America, you don't think it's great. Mm. But on the world scene, America had, I would say, a higher standing than it does today. True. So the day the earth stood still captures that part of America, the concerns of that time. But this is also kind of a... um, a moral, not like a morality tale, but a cautionary tale in a mm, lot of ways. Okay. And it deals with the fears of where America could go with this newfound power. Right. And also, it's just a straight up sci-fi movie with robots and flying saucers and men from space. <laughs> so it has all of that. And I think at the time, of course, we were born decades and decades after this, but I think at the time you could have those types of things in movies and Mm -hmm. still be taken as a serious film, which it's harder to do now. Movies do it, and I think lots of movies do it successfully. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you we're going to watch a movie about flying saucers, you're going to be like, it's either going to be a bad horror or it's going to be silly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was necessarily the case back then. So this movie was directed by Robert Wise, who is a very talented filmmaker and made lots of things that people will know, like uh, the 1961 West Side Story. He directed Sound of Music, The Haunting from 1963, The Andromeda Strain, uh, the first Star Trek movie. Hmm. And he was also nominated for an Oscar for his work on Citizen Kane, where he was an editor. Oh, wow. So he, like... He's got a big career. I yes. love Sound of Music. Yeah. So this is a talented person, for sure. But this is pretty early on in his career, because uh, West Side Story and Sound of Music were both in the 60s. So this is a good 10 years on on those ones. Talent is going to show through regardless of what type of movie you're making, I Mm -hmm. think. And I think that's the case with this. This also has a great score with that theremin that you were talking about. (laughs) Theremin. I was like, what is it called? And I was like, therapy is wrong. wrong. (laughs) I couldn't remember what it was, though. Theremin. But let's watch a little bit of a trailer. Of course, it's an old trailer, so it won't be a trailer in the same way that we're used to. But let's take a look. Or a listen. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. 
ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon, the arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. <laughs> to give you these facts. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this earth of yours will be reduced to a burned out cinder. But he's a robot. Without you, what could he do? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the earth. All vehicles close in. Let's go. All right, so what do you see? I saw a spaceship, like your classic movie spaceship. Yeah. Um, and that's where it comes saucer. from, from this time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw a like classic news announcer doing that voice, that like news that announcer. That trans- yeah. transatlantic accent. Yeah. And uh, It's going to be a real buffo scoop, Yeah, see? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's, there's like that old timey news voice yeah. that is totally used in this movie. And then um, an alien who looks oddly like a human yeah <laughs> i wish they didn't show that actually that kind of gives away something because you know that only happens later in the movie yes but and a big robot yeah and uh some of the text was like they came from 250 million miles away yeah with powers unseen on this planet and it, it's how does it feel what kind of movie kind does this feel like sensationalist yeah and like campy yeah, and I think the idea of camp kind of came from, or that this is campy comes from later on. But yeah. I, I wonder how it was perceived at the time, if it was like just straight up serious mm-hmm. or it was seen as kind of kind of silly. But maybe I'll have to read some articles that were written then. <laughs> Get your microfiche out. Yeah. I joke, but you like have access to microfiche. I do. <laughs> well, um, I say go check this movie out. It's fun, if nothing else. I think we're going to be able to uh, take out a lot more than what's on the surface of this movie from it. I remember watching it probably when I was uh, 18 or 19 and thinking it was pretty great, but Mm -hmm. I haven't really seen it since. Okay. So we're going to pull out my DVD from the shelf and watch The Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951. And if you're going, how do I get a copy? Of course, I always say the library. Yeah. But this movie has gone public domain. So you can watch it on the Internet Archive. And I will put a link in the show notes. And you can watch the entire movie for free. Nice. 
So, and it, I think it's available on a lot of other streaming services too. Oh, amazing. Okay, well, that'll be exciting. There is a really nice uh, restored Blu-ray of, as well, of course. Uh-huh. And uh, we'll take a look at that one. But you know what? Even the Internet Archive one looks looks pretty good. Okay, cool. So check out The Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951. Watch it for free. Buy a Blu-ray, do whatever, and meet us back here next week when we talk some 50s sci-fi and theremins. Just like that? That's what it's like. It's going to be just like that. I'm very excited. Okay, goodbye, everyone. Bye. Ooh, it's very scary.